Welcome to the Experience Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message. It's our prayer that this message is not only an encouragement, but a blessing to your life. Awesome. Well, hey, we have an exciting day planned today. We actually are doing something, we do it at least once a year. We love getting to do this, and so I'll share just a minute what it's going to be. But first, I want to look on the other side of that screen right now and say a big hello to anyone joining us online and to the CCNO campus, to the other prison and jail campuses that are gathering right now to watch this service, and to Belize Central Prison. Come on, church. Can you welcome our church family? We love you. We believe in you. You're awesome. So good, and and so we're excited today, so at least once a year we get to do this, and we do some team teaching, where we have multiple communicators, and today we have four communicators that are going to share our four church values. You see, our vision here at Experience Church is to help everybody connect to a God-first life. We want to connect to a God-first life, not just when we're in church, when we're out there, when I'm at work, when I'm at home, in my marriage. I want a God-first life life. And that's our vision here. And we have four values that help guide us in that. And we're, you're going to get to hear those today. And so we have the, we call it our big four around here, the big four core values as a church. And so you're going to get to hear these four communicators and they each have seven minutes. So pray for them. Okay. Pray for them. seven minutes to share a church value with you. So would you help me? Because I know you have so much enthusiasm today. Would you help me welcome our first communicator, Joe Silva. All right. Well, hey, I got seven minutes. I'm going to jump into it. How y'all doing, church? It's good to see you guys. So I get to start off with the value that we believe at Experience Church is our first value, and that's actually the value of being real, the value of being authentic. And so I want to start off by talking about what that really means and how you become real and how your faith grows into that real, authentic faith. And, and first of all, it's, you got to find yourself in the Bible. you got to find yourself in the story of God. And I believe if you try to find yourself outside of the story of God, you're going you're gonna to have a life not full of hope. you got to discover and keep digging until you find yourself in the stories, until you find your story within the greatest story of all time. And the reason, the way we develop this authentic, authenticity, this realness, is, is this. It's in Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1 through 4, it says this. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life, everyone say real life, life. is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. I got two points for us today. The first one is simply this. The real you is developed in the dark. The real you is developed in the dark. It's developed in the hidden place with God. It's not developed in the outside. It's developed in the hidden place with God where that matters. So that should just relieve some pressure off you right now that you do not have to show off your faith to the person beside you or in front of you or to your mama or your grandma. Your faith is developed in the place that matters, which is in that alone time with God hidden with him because he's the one that knows our faith. 
And I think we spend a lot of time wasting our time trying to prove on Instagram, prove on Twitter that look at my faith, see my faith, I'm growing. That doesn't really matter. That's not the true faith that the God's looking for. He's looking for that hidden faith. And the best illustration I can have is, is, is the idea of the film camera. Raise your hand if you remember the camera that would produce film. Raise your hand if you remember that back in the 1900s when they had the camera. It wasn't this instant digital camera phase where you can plug your phone in to the kiosk at Walmart and have them printed in an hour as you go grab milk and bread. No, back in the day, we had to wait about three and a half weeks to get right. It didn't take an hour. It took about three and a half weeks because... Uh, it actually had a process to develop the pictures. You remember that? I got a picture I want to share with you of the process that is developed in, in the film. You see, these cameras, when you, when you take these cameras, you had this little film. Remember that film, guys? Yeah. Took that film. You go to CVS. You hand it over there. And then magically within a couple weeks, they call you and say, hey, your film is ready. Well, do you know there's a process to that film? There's a unique process. And they take it to the dark room. Everyone say dark room. They take it to the dark room and they hang it up for days, sometimes weeks. And they have a special light that hits on it in the dark room. There's a the picture. That's the process. It took time. It takes weeks. You see, the, the, the faith that God's trying to do in us and trying to develop in us takes time. It takes years. It takes time hanging there. It, it takes time sitting in God's presence and being okay with the solitude and silence of our, of our Savior that brings healing and restoration. You see, I think sometimes we, we, we go in these seasons of dark room where it's dark and you're by yourself and, 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 and we get confused. We think God's trying to discipline us. I'm here to tell you it's not for your discipline. It's for your restoration. It's for your transformation. Some of us fear those places, those seasons of dark room because we've been there once and we felt like God wasn't there. But I'm here to tell you, that's where God does his greatest work. He's a specialist in developing people in the dark. Developing people where nobody can see, which is you and him. That's where he does his greatest work. The second, the second uh, really the second truth I want to give to you guys today is the real you is received and not achieved with God. The real you is received and not achieved with God. This is so critical to our faith. And I love this because Jesus in Luke chapter 3, I want to read this, read this verse because it paints this picture of a father and a son just walking in realness. And it says this, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized and he was praying. The heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form, I mean, the Holy Spirit took a bodily form and it says he came down, descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. You see, this was before Jesus did a single miracle. This was before Jesus did anything in his ministry. He's 30 years old, and heaven opens up, and his heavenly father affirms him, and he gives him a gift. He gives him a gift in that moment, and I believe, I just believe the Lord just, just hugged him in that moment. I think he affirmed him. He said, this is my boy. This is my son. He's going to do amazing things. I'm going to give him joy. But I believe in that moment, he just gave him embrace. You see, the things of the faith are not to be achieved. They're to be received. And when you stop, when you stop striving to achieve his grace or his place on the team, you will start receiving real grace. Because as you achieve, listen, faith is not about trying to join a team. 
It's about, your, about recognizing you're part of a family. It's not about trying to try out for a team or trying to, trying to prove yourself on the bench. No, that's not what this faith is about. It's about receiving who is in you and the God that's inside of you is so fascinating. I believe this is where that, that dark room is so critical because there's a special light, and I, I call it the Holy Spirit. This transformation that happens as you allow yourself to be placed in the dark room and, and allow yourself to just start hearing from God directly. And because the generations and the things that you're facing right now, the, the battles that you're facing right now, they're generations. They're, they're, they're battles that your generation has, has, has battled and fought against you. And so you're, it's going to require for you to have a greater faith. It's going to require for you to have a more real faith. And it's going to only happen when you go to that place and allow the Holy Spirit to form you and transform you into this faith that cannot be shaked. Because there's going to be moments and there's going to be seasons in your life where everything's going to shake, everything's going to turn, you're going to look around. And, and you see, the person that God's developing in that dark room is the future you. It's your future battles. Those victories start years before. They start in that place where it's just you and God, where he's transforming and telling you who you are and who you're becoming. So church, we value being real around here. Help me welcome Pastor Steph as she takes on the next value. Thank you. As a church, we value being spirit-powered. Power can be defined as being propelled by means of power, of a specified kind. And this isn't some man-made, man-mustered-up power that can only get us so far. This is a power that only comes from the Holy Spirit. Why is it so crucial for us to be spirit-powered? Well, I can tell you personally, I cannot even imagine what my life would look like without the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I remember 10 years ago, I had just went through the loss of my father, and I was stuck in misery, if I can just put it really frankly. I was overwhelmed with sadness. I was a point of desperation. I was frustrated at my circumstances. I was anxious. And as a result, even irrational fears started to overtake me. You know, see, for years I had understood the Holy Spirit in my head, but I really didn't understand the Holy Spirit in my heart. There was this disconnect. There was this disconnect from my head to my spirit. And what I began to do at that time was what Pastor Joe said, I really got real with God. I began to cry out to him. And it was in that realness when he began to teach me and show me what it was to know him as my heavenly father. I would literally be on my face weeping with the bedroom door shut so the kids didn't see me. And I would be pleading and crying out to God, God, I'm craving joy again. I'm craving peace again. And if I can just say, I was trying everything. I was in the word, but here's what I was lacking. I was lacking the intimacy with my father and being spirit powered. And when I went into the word, here's what he began to show me. In Romans 8, 16, it says, for the Holy Spirit 
makes God's fatherhood real to us. As he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. God's fatherhood started to become real to me. It wasn't just in my head any longer. It started to be in my spirit, but it only came from the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what started to happen. I started to have more peace. I started to have more joy. I, I, I wasn't as fearful as I had been. I started to become more confident in who God had created me to be. And when things were not going my way or things were rough, I wasn't questioning the love of the Father. I started to instead lean into the Father's love. And here's what he began to show me through his word. Galatians 5:17 says, "When your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit, you hinder him from living free within you." What I began to realize is that I was craving answers from God. But God began to show me, "I want you to crave the things of the Spirit." I started to ask him, "Change my cravings." Change my cravings. See, when we crave the things of the spirit, we starve the things of the flesh. Let me say it again. When we crave the things of the spirit, we will starve the things of our flesh. Things of the spirit look like getting in your word when you just don't feel like it. Getting on your face in desperation and a brokenness when you're so desperate for joy to re-enter your heart. Craving the things of the Spirit. Getting into a life group, a small group. That's why we value small groups here at Experience Church. Because we activate that thing within us to crave the things of the Spirit. I begin to also just cry out to my Heavenly Father. And I was like, man, I still feel stuck I mean, there's things that I want to grow in, but I still feel stuck. Why is it that my loved ones, why do we continue to stumble and remain in this place? And he took me to Galatians 5, 19 through 21, because this is what prevents us from being spirit-powered. The passage goes on and it says, the behavior of the self-life is obvious. It's sexual immorality, lustful thoughts pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in our way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions, being envious of the blessings of others, Murder, uncontrollable addictions, a wild parties, and all other similar behavior. The self-life is what will prevent us from being spirit-powered. But as we cry out to him, Holy Spirit, change our cravings. He does just that. Galatians 5.17 says, And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your self-life from dominating you. As we, as we ask the Holy Spirit, guess what he does? He hinders the flesh from dominating ourselves. See, when we crave the things of the Spirit, we will starve the things of the flesh. But how do we practically do it? How do we practically 
live a spirit-powered life. Galatians 5.16 tells us, let me emphasize this. As you yield to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. As we yield, as we surrender, as we get to this low place of humility and brokenness and say, Holy Spirit, I cannot live one day without you. And yielding is at once. It's not twice. It's daily. It's sometimes hourly. It's a lifestyle of yielding to the Holy Spirit. And as I close, here's what we gain when we live a life yield yielded to the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, through 23 tells us we're gonna have peace and joy. Here's what it says. But the fruit that's produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all of its varied expressions. When we're spirit-powered, look what we get. We have joy that overflows. When we're spirit-powered, we will have a peace that subdues. When we're spirit-powered, we will have a patience that endures. When we're spirit-powered, we'll have kindness in action. When we're spirit-powered, we'll have a life full of virtue. When we're spirit-powered, we will have a faith that prevails. And when we have a spirit-powered, we will have gentleness of our hearts. When we're spirit-powered, we will have a strength of spirit. As a church, we value being spirit-powered. And now to share our next value, let's welcome Aaron Rosario to the stage. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, as a church, we value being outward reaching. So this is how we would define outward reaching. It would be to make an effort to do something for someone else, or we might also say going beyond these walls to leave an impression, a lasting impression in the hearts of people in a practical yet in a spiritual way as well. We, we want to meet practical needs and meet people right where they're at, but we also want to solve the spiritual problems that can only be solved through Jesus Christ. So I think that's important for us to see before we dive into this passage of scripture. We're going to be going into Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. This is known as the Great Commission, so we're going to read it. It reads like this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, where they, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." As I was reading this passage of scripture, I had this thought, and I want to throw it up here on the screens for you to be able to check out. But I had this thought that Jesus lived to go beyond the boundaries of the established confines of what it meant to practice the religious pursuit of God. Now that's a lot, but, but saying it again is Jesus lived to go beyond the boundaries, to, be, to go beyond what everybody thought it looked like to worship God, to pursue God. You have to be on this, this mountain or this mountain. You have to go to this temple. You have to bring this sacrifice. He, he lived to go beyond these confines that people had because it wasn't necessarily bringing them closer to God. It was just giving them rules and works to follow. And so he's like, I want to get to the heart. So, so he, he lived to go beyond these things and to practice the religious pursuit of God freely in our everyday lives. 
In other words, he wanted to reach out to as many people as he possibly could in order to help them right where they were at. And so just to prove this point, I want to give us a few passages where we see Jesus doing this. For instance, in John chapter 4, Jesus reaches out to a woman at a well and turns her life upside down, and she could never be the same from that moment forward. Jesus was outward reaching. He was always reaching out to leave a lasting impression in the hearts of people. And in this case, he meets this woman at a well that was full of shame, that was full of guilt, and he meets her in a practical yet spiritual way to change her life because he was outward reaching. And in Mark chapter five and Luke eight, we see the similar story of Jesus encountering a woman with an issue of blood. She couldn't take care of it. Neither could any doctors or physicians. And she had spent all of her livelihood, all of her money trying to get better and couldn't do it on her own. But in one moment, how many know one moment in the presence of God changes everything? In one moment in the presence of Jesus, something changed. And so she touched his garment and Jesus turned around in a crowd to acknowledge her specifically. Jesus was outward reaching. He was always reaching out to leave a lasting impression in the lives and in the hearts of people. And specifically this woman who would have been deemed unclean and she's not supposed to be around everybody else, not supposed to touch anyone else because they would, she would defile them as well. But Jesus cared about the practical yet the spiritual needs, or we could say the real and spirit powered needs that she had. In other words, in Mark chapter 10, we see another example of a man named Bartimaeus who cries out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he receives his sight. A blind man receives his sight because Jesus was outward reaching. He was always reaching out to leave a lasting impression in the hearts and lives of people all around, right where they were at. In a real yet spiritual way, in a real and practical way. He's reaching out. And so I love the fact that Jesus is always doing this because he's not asking the apostles and the disciples in this, in this great commission that we read, as he's asking them to go out and baptize, make disciples of all nations, he's not asking them to do something that he hadn't already done himself. He, he leaves an example and he sets an example. He's like, I want you to go out and leave a lasting impression in the hearts of people as well. And so he tells them, he commands them to go out to baptize, to make disciples, to reach the nations. And he says, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. When you're, when you're persecuted, when you feel uncomfortable, when, when you find yourself at the store and you're like, I feel like the Lord is asking me to go pray for somebody or to encourage somebody, he'll be with you to the very end. When you're maybe at work and you're, you're with a coworker and they're sharing something that's going on that's heavy in their heart and you're like, am I supposed to tell them I'll pray for them? Am I supposed to pray for them right now? What am I supposed to do? He'll be with you always to the very end of the age because Jesus was outward reaching, constantly reaching out to all of the people around him to leave a lasting impression in their hearts. And so he leaves this example for the apostles or the disciples, but yet he leaves this example for the church as well. It's something that he was willing to go on this journey. He was willing to go on this mission to set an example of how we should live that out. And very practically here at Experience Church, how do we live that out? We have something called Connect Track where you can go through this process of seeing the vision of the church, where you can discover your purpose and how you can make a difference as well. It's being outward reaching and reaching people right where you're at. 
We have something called the dream team where, where you can get plugged in and now I can make a difference on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday or whatever that may look like. I can use the gifts that God has given me to make a lasting impression in the hearts of people around me. Very simply and practically, we can join a small group where it's, it's a practical way, it's a real way, but yet a spirit-powered way to leave a lasting impression in the hearts of people around us. As a church, we value being outward reaching. Help me welcome Pastor Justina to the stage. Well, fourth and final, as a church, we value being life-giving. Life-giving. Now, let me define life-giving for you. According to Webster, here's what it means. It means to be strengthened, refreshed, and inspired with new life. I couldn't take my eyes off that word inspired when I read that definition because here's the definition of, in, of that word inspire. To inspire means to breathe in, as you would think. But if I'm inspiring someone, it means to put breath into something. In other words, to be life-giving means to put breath back into somebody, to put breath back into a situation. To be life-giving means I'm putting breath back into something that's lost its breath. In fact, for us to be a life-giving church, that just looks like when people come into this house to worship or they tune in online, hopefully they've had some breath put back into them. We can partner with each other together to put breath back into people. Maybe to be a life-giving person, when you think about it, if you're a life-giving person, it just means every time I encounter someone, I'm able to find an opportunity to put breath back into them because they're breathless and they're hopeless. And I can be a part of putting breath back into them. To be life-giving just means to put breath back into something. Now, you see, the enemy's assignment, if you read John 10, 10, you're going to find out that the enemy's assignment is to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, his assignment is to take breath away. And then you keep reading that verse and you're gonna find Jesus' assignment, the reason that Jesus came was to give life and give life more abundantly. In other words, was to put breath back into people, put breath back into the earth. To be life-giving just means to put breath back into something. And I was thinking about that. For myself, I just wanna have a filter. I wanna ask myself, am I life-giving? Am I life-taking? When I'm around somebody, do I put breath into them or do I take their breath away? Now listen, Pastor Kyle tells me all the time, baby, you take my breath away. I used to think I knew what he meant by that. Then I study this, I'm just not so sure. So now when somebody does you wrong, you just say, baby, you take my breath away. I can't breathe, right? To be life-giving just means to put breath back into something. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. God wants to use all of us to be a life-giving presence in a life-taking world. Church, we live in a life-taking world. And it's crucial that we are a life-giving presence. That instead of taking breath away, we're putting breath back into them. In fact, I thought of an example that's perfect for this. Someone who knew well what it was to partner with God to put breath back into some hopeless situation. And I thought of Ezekiel. And I want to read Ezekiel 37 together. Maybe you'll recognize the, the, the passage. Maybe you'll recognize it as the valley of dry 
bones. And what's happening in Ezekiel 37 is Ezekiel's a prophet and God goes to his prophet and he gives him a vision. Now a vision is just like a dream, but you're awake. And so Ezekiel's having this vision and he partners with God. And I want you to see what happens. Ezekiel chapter 37 verses one through five, they say this, the Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor and they were scattered everywhere across the ground and they were completely dried out. And then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Now, I want you to take note of how Ezekiel answers because you and I are gonna be asked that by God at some point. He's gonna say, do you think I can? Do you think it can get better? Do you think that I can do that? Do you think that we can accomplish that? And even if you're not sure, you should answer like Ezekiel. Ezekiel's smart here. And he says, son of man, do you think these can become living people again? And Ezekiel says, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer to that. And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. Verse seven, look what happened. So I spoke this message just as he told me. And then suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. And the bones of each bone came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And then as I watched the muscle and the flesh formed over the bones and then the skin formed to cover their bodies. But listen, they still had no breath in them. Listen, you can look like you have it all together. When we come to church, we can see people come in and it looks like they got it. You've got, you've got bones. They're all where they go. You've got flesh covered. You look like, but there's still no breath there. We're looking for the breath, not just the skeleton. To be life-giving, I'm, I'm looking for opportunity to put breath back into something, even when it appears to have it all together. And he goes on and it says that the skin formed over, but they had no breath in them. And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and they stood up on their feet, a great army. I love that story. You see, Ezekiel partnered in that vision. He partnered with God to put breath back. God used him to put breath back into a situation that seemed impossible, a situation that seemed hopeless. He was talking about his people, the Israelites, that had been in exile. They were dead. It looked hopeless. But he put breath back into them and brought them back to life. I was thinking about that, and I thought, how? How can we be life-giving? And if we follow the example of this passage, there was one thing that stood out. Here's how we do it. Write it down. We have to learn how, just like Ezekiel, to speak to the potential, not just the problem. What Ezekiel didn't do is go into that valley in the vision and go, wow, this looks crazy impossible. I mean, these bones, they weren't even skeletons all at least together where they go. I don't know. How, who, who knows how many bones you have in our body? I should have looked that up. I don't know. 200 something. I don't know. A lot of bones. A lot of bones in the body and they were scattered. They were displaced. It was everywhere. He's looking at a sea of white because there were bones everywhere. Ezekiel didn't just start speaking to the problem. Going, man, what a mess. 
This is never, this is going to be impossible. Do you know how long it's going to take to get these bones back where they go? Do you know what it's going to take? Ezekiel didn't speak to the problem. He spoke to the potential. God said, no, speak to the potential. If we're going to be life-giving, we have to learn how to speak to the potential, not just the problem. That doesn't mean that we ignore the problem. It doesn't mean we don't address the problem. It doesn't mean we don't face the problem. It just means to be life-giving, I'm going to have to also speak to the potential. Listen, you can be a skeleton again. You can have flesh come over you. You can have the breath put back into you. You can become God's people again. You can go back to Jerusalem and see the power of God live and breathe through you as a nation. Yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. Ezekiel spoke to the potential, not just the problem. I was thinking about my own story, and the truth is, the only reason I get to stand right here and do this moment right now is because about 20 years ago, I stepped in the doors of a life-giving church. And I walked in that, those doors, and they began to put breath back into me. And the way that they did that was they continued to speak to my potential, not just my problems. To be sure, I brought in some problems. To be sure, I came into that place with a heap of problems, probably looked like a bag of bones. But I'm so grateful that I walked into a church that began to just put a little breath back into me. And they looked at me and multiple different people. It wasn't just from the platform, though the messages did that for me. I would walk through the crowd, I would walk through the lobby and people would just walk up to me and they would say, hey, I know you're not living like you should be right now. They didn't ignore my problem. We gotta address the problem, but they say, but I'll tell you what, I can see it on you. God has a future for you. God has a plan to use you. And if you will get yourself in God's word, I believe one day you'll be teaching others that word. They spoke to the potential, not just my problem. They would walk up to me and say, hey, I know it feels heavy. Like every time, I can just tell every time you come to church, you just feel like a little down, like, like a little confused. I know that's how it feels now, but I feel like I should tell you. And if you'll get close to Jesus, if you'll keep coming back to this house, one day you're going to be leading some of this stuff. One day God's going to use you to make a difference. And in that, they just kept putting breath back into me, breath back into me, breath back into me. And eventually I went from potential to living it out. Because eventually that potential that put the breath back into me every time it was spoken to me by the life-giving people in a life-giving church... It became a reality because to be life-giving is to put breath back into people. And God's going to call each one of us to do that. And as we each do that as individuals, we're going to be a church that is known as a church that is life-giving, that sees the potential, not just the problem. I, I, I want to share not just my story, but I got this at the prayer meetings we just moved them to Tuesday nights. They'll start this Tuesday night at 6.30. We'll have prayer in here. And it, it used to be on Wednesdays. And it was a Wednesday or two ago, I read this prayer request that came in from Brooke. Brooke, we love you. I'm going to share your request. She's in CCNO right now. That's where Brooke is. And she turned in her prayer request. She was asking for prayer for sobriety and some of the court hearings and obviously to get out. <laughs> but then she said this. And I thought about it because, you know, I went to a life-giving church and now I'm so grateful that we are 
a life-giving church. And I want you to see what happens because of that. Brooke says this, she says, experience church has impacted me because it's allowed the Holy Spirit to open my heart to bigger things. It makes me realize that this life is precious and that God can even use me as a testimony to someone else. She's so grateful. She's so grateful that some life-giving people walked in to CCNO with a life-giving service to say, we see your potential. Girls in a jail cell. But because somebody sees her potential, she has had the breath put back into her. Can you even imagine? And Brooke says, I can't wait to come to church. I can't wait to be there. And can you even imagine that? And the reason is because when we're life-giving, we put breath back into people. So we are a church that values being real. We value being spirit-powered. We value being outward-reaching. And we value being life-giving. Would you all pray with me today? Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for each one of these communicators that has used their mouth as a sword to make its mark today. We just pray, God, that you would do what only you can do by your spirit in this moment. And as we're praying, I just wanna give an opportunity, whether you're watching online, whether you're watching at one of the jail or prison campuses, or you're here in the room with us right now, I wanna give an opportunity to those that have never confessed Jesus as Lord, those that have never given their heart fully surrendered to Jesus. I wanna encourage you, it's the best decision you'll ever make. It's the only decision that matters for the sake of eternity. And so if that's you, you're just not sure, you've never done it, maybe you have at one point, but you know you've long ran away from Jesus, you've not been living for him and you wanna rededicate your life. If that's you right where you are, you can lift a hand online, you can lift a hand in the room. It just lets us know who I'm praying with right now. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Today, Jesus, I choose you. I give you my life. I repent of my sin. And I receive your free gift of salvation today. And now, Holy Spirit, fill me and teach me how to live. Show me how to follow you fully, Jesus. I surrender to you now in the mighty name of Jesus. Now all across the room, if you just wanna be included, that we want God to impart to us these values. I don't wanna just say that we are a church, I wanna be a person. I wanna be a person that values being real with God and real with others. I wanna value being spirit powered. I wanna value being outward reaching. I wanna be life giving. If that's you, just lift your hand. I'm just gonna pray a prayer. Today, here we are, God, we're your church, we're your sons, we're your daughters. We commit ourselves to these values today but we need your help, Holy Spirit. Would you impart it to us? Would you give us opportunity to express these values? Would you help us by showing us more scriptures on these values? May they become who we are. May we represent you well, Jesus, everywhere we go. In our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, and in this house, the church. God, may we value what you value. We know you value these things, so would you help us with them? We give you all the glory today, and it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can you help me thank all of these communicators today? They did an awesome job.
shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not... That's what happens when you wait. That's what happens when you wait. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not faint. That's what happens when you wait. That's what happens when you wait. Oh, they that wait, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not faint. That's what happens when you wait. That's what happens when you wait. Oh, they that wait, they that wait on the
Thanks for joining us. We here at Experience Church love you and are praying for you. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our hope.